Today's reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Listen for the word of God. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So, I have the great pleasure of introducing our guest preacher for today, the Reverend Dr. 
Richard Topping, and he'll start making his way up as I'm talking. Uh, Richard is the principal at the Vancouver School of Theology, which is the seminary or minister training school uh, for United Anglican and Presbyterian churches. Um, uh, during his tenure, the school has seen a revitalization both in energy and enrollment. I felt the energy even when I was there over eight, nine years ago. Oh, man. That's where the, all the gray is coming in and my hair. And, um, and it has the highest, Richard told us last night that it has the highest number of students ever, enrollment of students ever this year. And that is absolutely wonderful. Um, woo. Uh, Richard is also an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church in Canada and lives with his wife Amy in Richmond, B.C. I think I can speak uh, for Ingrid and myself in saying that Richard's gifts as a teacher, mentor, and example are hugely impactful on our own ministries, and we wouldn't be where we are or who we are uh, without God working in and through him. So you can either thank Richard or blame Richard, whichever... (laughs) you'd like to, like to do. So, so welcome, Richard. Well, what a pleasure to be with you here this morning, especially in person. Um, during COVID, I've done a lot of preaching online, and I was saying to Ryan last evening that it's great to be together with people and to preach in long pants um, again. <laughs> But it is a delight to be here with Ryan and with Ingrid uh, and to learn from them and to listen to them about how ministry is taking place and the incredible innovation and the relentlessness and the care and kindness for people uh, are remarkable. It's so uh, encouraging, even in challenging times, to hear that ministry uh, goes on and that the good news is still good, uh, maybe especially uh, in a time like this. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit that in your light we see light and in your truth we find freedom. Bless us today as we have listened to Holy Scripture that we might take it into our lives uh, to love and please you all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, One of the reasons that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is really quite simple. As the books that we call the New Testament were being put together, those who did it realized that the only way you can get to a condensed and ironed-out version of Jesus' life is if you commit violence. Here's what I mean. Those who gathered together the individual books that make up the New Testament did so under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And they said, we got to keep four Gospels. See, the only way in the Christian church that you could move from listening to four voices to get to one voice is by silencing three. And people who followed Jesus thought it was out of keeping with the Savior we know who was nonviolent, who turned his cheek to go from multiple voices to one voice, whether that's in the books of the Bible or maybe even in a church meeting, uh, through fear or manipulation or intimidation. In the church's judgment, it was just not Christian to squelch other legitimate witnesses, even if it makes the Bible a little rough around the edges. Multiple voices triumph over tidiness when it comes to Holy Scripture. We'd rather engage in a broader listening than get to easy closure in church. 
Better to have a variety of Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Better to listen to four perspectives on the one Jesus Christ than to shut down perfectly acceptable perspectives by brute force. And so, thank God, we don't end up with a monochrome, cookie-cutter, singular, and thoroughly edited version of the life of Jesus. What we have are four versions of the life of our one Lord. And together they provide great richness and depth to faith that we wouldn't have without them. And so we've got like Matthew, right? He, he loves the wise men and he has the great commission and he, he has a certain fondness too for weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> and then there's Mark with his quick paced action thriller. Mark loves the word immediately. If Mark's gospel was turned into a movie, Harrison Ford would be Jesus. <laughs> and then there's Luke, the storyteller. He tells those wonderful parables that we love so much. They're only in Luke, the Good Samaritan, and the prodigal son. And then there's John, the gospel of John, who manages to tell the whole of the Christmas story in four words. The word became flesh. You couldn't really have a Christmas pageant based on John. But four Gospels, they give such variety and depth. Four Gospels make it really hard for any of us to say, oh, I finally understand Jesus, finally and fully. Just when you think you figured Jesus out from uh, Luke's solo story, in the other ear comes, well, John's tenor voice, and you realize that Jesus is nobody's possession. There's more to it. He's uh, elusive. Here at church, we're not waiting for the editors to clean up the story of Jesus so that we can tweet it out. Not at all. We'd, we'd have to commit violence to do that, and we'd lose too much great material to the cutting room floor. But we don't want a smooth narrative if coercion and the richness of the Christian story would be lost. You see, Christians, while they worship the same Lord Jesus Christ, are at their best with a variety of voices, multiple reliable witnesses. Unity of faith in Jesus, whose life, death, and resurrection is recorded in the four Gospels, has never required uniformity. What we've got in the Christian church is, is a unity of faith through diverse voices. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, but four Gospels, and many gifts. St. Paul writes these words about, the ch about church life. He says the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If it were a single member, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, and yet one body. The Holy Spirit the personal and abiding presence of God comes upon the followers of Jesus and life and diversity are born, like at the dawn of creation. You see, the church is not just a natural human institution, not just an organization, it is an organism. The descent of the Spirit upon Jesus' disciples means the rising up of a breathing, living, holy Christian church. And the life that God breathes out is just chock full of variety. I mean, uh, talk to each other this morning. It turns out that we got a, a God who loves diversity and multiplicity of expression. For not only does the Holy Spirit inspire four Gospels so that the church isn't monochromatic and single perspective, the Holy Spirit, that lover of variety, gives multiple gifts to the Christian church. We who people the pews, uh, we don't all see things the same way. 
And that's not a curse. That's the result of the gifts of God. That's an important thing to remember in like church meetings, right? The fact that you just can't get other people to see things correctly, I, I mean, like I do, it's not always the result of somebody else's impertinence or yours. It's very often the result of the Holy Spirit. We're not all the same. So don't be surprised, as I was when I was a minister of a congregation, there was one person who kept saying at every meeting, we need to be more welcoming. And I heard it as a complaint. As it turns out, she was asking to be involved, to use her gift for welcoming people. Hear those kinds of things as like a request to get involved. There are, says St. Paul, varieties of gifts and service and working. With our baptism comes the gift of the Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit, God-given abilities for the good of the whole church and the world. In addition to nature and nurture, there's grace. And in baptism, God distributes multiplicity of special, challenges, uh, special talents for the good of God's people. It's clearly God who is behind variety in church. I just love the way Paul makes his point about the importance of diversity of gifts and ways of service in the church. It's, it's as entertaining as uh, the screwdrivers. <laughs> what happens if an individual congregation resists diversity? What happens... If, say, a church puts all its eggs in one basket where it comes to, like, gifts and kinds of service that matter, what happens if we start punching out Christians like uh, Ritz crackers, you know, all salty and the same? Well, what happens if we say that some gifts, some work in church, well, that's the really important stuff? Well, in, in an analogy, Paul imagines a human body and he says, well, what if, like, the whole body was an eye? And again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The body's a cooperative effort. Each part requires the other parts to get anything done. Well, if the head gets all uppity with the feet, right, the next thing you know, you've got passive-aggressive shoes on your hands. And the feet inside those shoes might just get the eye to look the other way. Well, the feet walk the head into the wall. <laughs> Then the welt on the head will say to the wayward feet, you're right, I see your point, I have need of thee. St. Paul makes the point that a body in which members are at war or in competition with each other is at the very least uncoordinated and at the very worst terminally ill. See, like a healthy body, a healthy church is full of coordinated variety. It allows for the expression of various kinds of gifts because in doing so, it reflects God's ordering of our common life. Where we resist diversity of service and activity, the truth is we're kind of resisting God. God put things the way they are, not us. St. Paul says it, God has arranged the members of the body as God chooses. And a smart church spends time discerning which gifts are here when they do things like, I don't know, strategic planning. See, in the church at Corinth, church life was strained and competitive. Some people got shouted down and excluded and suppressed. And instead of the rich palette of Holy Spirit-inspired colors, they worked with monotonous shades of gray, which left most people out, bored, and dispossessed in their own church. 
It seems to me that if St. Paul is right, and, and I think he is, then one of our tasks here and now is to like, really help each other in church on the recognition side of things. Here's what I mean. Christians have gifts given by God to serve each other in the church and the world. We to whom the Spirit is given, we ought to be more generous in our praise of other people when they do things that makes church work um, for the common good. And, and I don't mean flattery, but sometimes we get so worried about flattery we say nothing, and that discourages people. I mean saying out loud or writing down. You know, when you do that, it just changes everything. You all know when you get a thank you card, it can change your day. Uh, you can tell people, I am grateful for the gifts that God has given you. It makes all the difference in the world. Thank you for your wonderful encouragement. And I think when we do that, we help each other discover the gifts that are already at work in the life of the church. I once had a group of people sit in a circle and, uh, at a church and say to the person next to them one thing they appreciated about them. And uh, there was a lot of tears before that was done. Uh, in some instances, it was the first time that a person had ever been blessed for the work they do in church. I think that's also important for our children. We help fan the flame of the Spirit in the lives of children by drawing out what is in them through encouragement and recognition. We could take a cue from good parents on this. No parent just rolls out children in a kind of assembly line, cookie cutter fashion, trying to make them all the same. That can only be done by doing violence to the person God is making this child, this young person to be. Individual attention, drawing out what God bestows by loving direction and encouragement is the work. And it's the work of the church in the lives of its members. There is a blessed variety here, God-given, spirit-induced, bestowed from on high. The good news is you all get to recognize it and not stifle it. We, we get to fan the spirit's flame into full flame. Now, if you're an HR type, you might ask, well, why bother? It's a lot harder to manage diversity. Monotony might not be inspiring, but at least you can manage it and control it. <laughs> I, I notice when the Spirit comes in the book of Acts, uh, there's forked lightning and people start speaking in other languages and it generates some interest. The Holy Spirit, right? The, the diversity inducing spirit of God doesn't cow to institutional stability and sameness and enforced conformity. You just, you just never know where the spirit might strike. About a year ago, I was reading a wonderful essay called Toward the Spirit of Christ by a man called James Dunn. And, and he, he leaves us with these sort of ominous words. He says this, he says, a church that seeks to restrict and control the spirit as too dangerous and unpredictable may be safe, but it's signed its own death warrant. <laughs> a church that seeks to follow where the Spirit leads will have to expect the unexpected and be prepared to be shaken to its core. But that's life, he says, life in the Spirit. And isn't that what frightens us a little bit, you know, shaken to the core? I mean, I'm a Presbyterian. I preach about taking chances, and on the way home in the car, my sons say to me, you don't even like it when we move your slippers. <laughs> I mean, do, do we really want spirit-induced diversity? When I was in Montreal, the congregation made one of a, a calendar for the year, 
you know, January through December. And in the June month, there was a picture of the Holy Spirit that somebody took, which was engraved on the front of the communion table, and they put it the wrong way around. So the Spirit that was supposed to descend like a dove looked like it was leaving like an eagle. Um, it was a mistake, but uh, you might understand why it could be done. I mean, look at when the Spirit comes in the book of Acts, the surrounding crowd said, what are you guys, drunk? And they say, well, you know, the bar isn't even open yet. It's not happy hour. Looks like intoxication to us. But it's a kind of God intoxication. And it engenders freedom and spontaneity that, that scares people, especially people like me, whose ancestors invented insurance. <laughs> you know those articles in denominational magazines that so, show a congregation singing with raised hands and close eyes, and, and I feel anxious. St. Paul doesn't entirely disagree with some of our concerns about disorder. Uh, Paul says God's not the author of confusion. When the Spirit comes, yes, there's diversity, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whom the Spirit had also inspired. However, in the midst of that diversity, there is a single confession. Just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. If we help or speak or serve or show somebody the way, it's all to direct people's attention toward the one who lived and died and rose again for the world. What the church says when our diversity is spirit-born and spirit-directed is this, God loves the world, God loves you, God sent Jesus for you, you see, there's a name larger than our own individuality and self-direction and reputation, and it's worth losing your life to. And the name is Jesus Christ. N no one, says St. Paul, right at the start of this chapter, can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Uh, put the other way around, everyone who is given the Spirit does say that Jesus is Lord. If it's not Jesus we're confessing, even in our most excellent efforts, then uh, conflict will usually be the result. To live and to breathe and to strive together toward that confession in the power of the Holy Spirit is the goal of all we do at church. The common goal of the Christian church is to confess Jesus Christ to each other and to the world that God loves. I think without that thread running through all we do and say, the church reverts to a series of competing interest groups, and the contest is to see who can get the biggest speakers to shout other people down, and why on earth would you bother coming to church to get that? That sort of gut-wrenching form of human life gets served up pretty much everywhere. But the Spirit liberates us from the love of power for the power of love in the service of Jesus Christ. Finally, maybe 20 years ago now, a friend of mine in Toronto called me in Montreal and said she had um, a friend who was coming from Iran to Canada, landing in Montreal, and would I meet her? And I did. I met her at the airport. And she asked to come to church, never been in a church in her life. It was the first and only time she ever came to church that Sunday. And so afterwards, I took her out for lunch, and I, I said, so uh, I, I'm really curious. What, what strikes you about church? Uh, what, what did you see? She said, well, two things. Uh, one, you people are very organized. 
I said, well, we're Presbyterians. Um, but, but, but then she continued. She said, the second thing is that, uh, like Jesus, he comes up everywhere. And the words and the songs and the service and the prayers. Thanks be to God for the church. Diverse in spirit, stoked gifts. United in its witness to Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen. stand. 